gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I am Colleen Sharp, and my co-host is Rachel Miller. And I know in the last month, there's a couple things I wanted to address. We had a week with no podcast. We had a, a week with a, um, we played an old podcast. And some of you may know that my dad did die a couple of, or I guess about, well, two weeks ago from when this came out. So, and I know many of you have been praying and I appreciate that. And we actually, my mom got a plant delivered to her and it was signed from a few theology gals. <laughs> so I thought that was really neat that they did that for my mom. And I received some flowers and notes and just really, really grateful for that because even those many of us have never met, we know each other from online, it's it's Christ that unites us. And I wanted to mention one other thing. When I re Rachel and I had recorded last week's episode a couple of weeks ago, and I put it out last week. And the first time I put it out, there was an error in it. So when you got to the last half of it, sounded like we were talking over each other. Um, I did fix that and put it out again. So uh, I've told people that have messaged me that, but some people may have missed that. So if you downloaded it before, you need to delete it re-download it and it will be fine and you can listen to that that next half so Rachel and I are kind of finishing up um, we've been talking about foundational doctrines of the Christian faith and a lot having you know we talked about federal vision back in um, 2019 the end of 2019 and we've been talking about law and gospel and um, salvation and the gospel and uh the law and how essential these are to our faith. And so we're kind of finishing that up. Next week, we're going to be doing an episode on uh, anxiety and depression. And we've got a special uh, return guest that's going to join us for that. 
And then we're going to do a question and answer. So if there's anything from the last few months that we've talked about that you've said, hey, I have a question about this, or you guys didn't answer this uh, quite how much I you would have hoped, or anything that's come up, email us at theologygals at gmail.com with that question. We'll answer that in two weeks. And then we're going to be doing a new series on the church. And Rachel and I are both so excited about that. We've got some guests that we're bringing on, and we're really excited about the topics that we've planned for that. So I think that's everything. We're going to talk today about good works. And this is such, this is important to get right. Um, I know R. Scott Clark has an article I love, which I'll link in the episode notes, that's called, uh, It's Not Weather, But Why, on good works. And I think that right there describes what we're talking about here. Do we do good works? Yes. But why do we do good works? And why is it important to understand the why of good works? And really, starting out, one of the reasons that it's so important to understand the why of good works is because so many people get the why wrong. And as Reformed Christians, we we can go right back to the Reformation. So, Rachel, why don't you talk about just Roman Catholic Church versus the Reformers and the difference? I mean, this was really foundational to what the Reformation was about, the the why of good works. Why, why do we do good works? What does it do? What does it not do? So I'll let you start out with the Roman Catholics. Sure. And I just wanted to say, too, we really appreciate you, Colleen, and all that you've done and do for us with the Theology Gals and getting the podcast ready, and especially with the challenges that there have been the last several weeks that we really do appreciate you. So we wanted to say oh, that. Thank you, Rachel. I, I appreciate you too. And you've been a big help too through this um, last several weeks. So when we talk about uh, the purpose of good works and um, the Reformation, and it goes back to, you know, we've talked before about uh, justification by faith alone, um, being saved by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone. All of these, these topics from the, the Reformation were uh, in response to what was being taught uh, in the Roman Catholic Church, especially in the medieval Roman Catholic Church. And not like that the Reformers were reactionary. What the Reformers were wanting to do was to take what the Catholic Church was teaching and go back to the Bible and see how we should reform, hence Reformers, what was being taught, um, being reformed by Scripture. So, the, the basic difference, and this is something from one of the um, um, articles that Scott Clark has written uh, where he summarizes this, but um, the basic difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformers is that the Catholic Church was teaching that justification, how we are made right before God, was through progressive sanctification, so that we're saved by a combination of grace and our cooperation with that grace. And which is, as we've talked before, when we talked with uh, John Fonville about um, justification, sanctification, this is a, a, a confusion of, of ideas, that justification, as the Reformers taught and as the Bible teaches, is a one-time uh, declaration. We are being declared right with God by, um, because of Christ's sacrifice. And it is by grace alone, through faith alone. And the work that we do can never justify us. It can't make us right with God because 
everything that we do is is touched by our sin, so we can never do enough good things to make ourselves acceptable before God. Uh, in an article that uh, R.C. Sproul wrote for Ligonier um, about what the Catholic Church believes about justification, he says, the fundamental difference was this. Trent, which is that's the Council of Trent that was written by the Catholic Church to, out, to lay out their views uh, during the Reformation. Trent said that God does not justify anyone until real righteousness inheres within the person. In other words, God does not declare a person righteous unless he or she is righteous. So, according to Roman Catholic doctrine, justification depends on a person's sanctification. And so, we would say that that gets things absolutely backwards, that what when God declares us right, this is the verse, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God um, saves us, declares us just before we have any righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own. Um, we are sinners in our sin, and Christ died for us, and God applies Christ's sacrifice to us in our justification, and we are declared righteous. But in addition to that, as we've talked about with John Fonville and some of the other discussions that we've had, God also initiates and um, works through and in us through our sanctification to make us righteous, to make us holy. And that is a process that lasts throughout all of our life, but it never changes the fact, it doesn't change the fact that we have already been declared righteous. Yeah, and one one thing, and this even came out in the Reformation, is a lot of people were afraid, well, if you say justification by faith alone and those works aren't necessary to kind of um, maintain that justification, is people are going to become antinomians. And we, we talked— Or lazy. Yes, right. They're not going to seek obedience. And we talked about that a lot with John Fonville. If you didn't hear that those episodes, I would— I would recommend recommend those. And that one of the sad things, and I think Rachel and I, you know, are saddened by this, is to see people in our own circles get this wrong. And we've talked in detail about Federal Vision. I wanted to read a, just a little section from the RCUS report because um, it kind of describes what happens here. This part is talking about Doug Wilson but um, and Norman Shepard. The issue is whether good works are in any way an instrument of justification. Norman Shepard is a primary teacher of this distinction between works not being the ground and yet an instrument of justification. He admits that Christ is the only ground of justification and specifically denies the Roman Catholic argument that justification is an infusion of righteousness. Nevertheless, he argues that good works, though not the ground of justification, justification are an instrument in obtaining justification. So again, we see an error of the why of good works and what good works does in um, Federal Vision. And uh, you know, if you go back and listen to the episodes that we've done on Federal Vision, we do address that you know, in more depth. If, you, if you're curious and you didn't, haven't heard those, I would recommend going back to them. Um, but the other part of what happens uh, in our circles uh, we've heard quite a bit, is people will say, you know, no, 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 you know, I'm not saying, you know, justification is absolutely by faith alone, by grace alone, that our works are not at all considered in our justification. However, the, our final salvation, when you get down to the end, and we're before the throne of God, 
that final salvation takes into consideration our good works. And, you know, we did mention this in in one episode before, kind of briefly, but that there is this, it's like a two-part justification. So, you have uh, justification and final, initial and final justification, or um, some people talk about justification versus future salvation, right? And when you do that, when you separate it out and say that, okay, no, you are justified by God, by faith alone, but your works are... um, you know, part of what God considers about whether or not you are finally saved, then it's it's still getting works into our salvation kind of through a backdoor approach, right? So, you can say, no, no, I believe in justification by faith alone, but you undermine it by adding works into uh, our salvation as if that's part of how God determines that we are are saved. Right, like one teacher said, well, we're justified by faith alone, but we don't attain heaven by faith alone. And I'm going to include in the episode notes, our Scott Clark has a, a good article that's called uh, something like, We Attain Heaven by Faith Alone. You know, and that gets confusing. Okay, so I'm justified by faith alone, but I got to get my works to get to heaven, you know? Right. Um, and it is, it's very confusing. It's hard to figure out. It's, you know, part of it sounds sort of like, well, maybe that's what Scripture is teaching in places, you know, because there are passages that are somewhat confusing if you're not sure how to understand good works and how to understand the passages, that it seems like our, our works are um, are key in this way. And I know there's a couple of the, the links that we'll have at the bottom of this episode, um, and also, you know, we'll get into this more in just a minute, but um, – there is a, a way to understand the passages correctly so that those passages are not a confusion for us over good works. Yeah, and there there, there really are some good articles. And we have a lot of quotes here, but there's going to be more uh, even in the episode notes. Rachel's even written a couple of, of great articles on this subject. And, um, you know, I think with each of these examples that we gave, with each of them, you are living your life obeying to be free instead of what we've right. talked about being free to obey. Right. It's it's exactly that. It's the, the quote from my campus minister, yes. which I will say again because I love it. Um, it's been so helpful. So, are you struggling to be free or are you free to struggle? And understanding that correctly helps us understand where our good works come in. So, we have been set free from our sin. We are declared righteous, and we are being made righteous by God, and our good works are evidence of His work in us. And so, that will be a good way to lead us into the next part of the discussion. So, we're going to talk about what good works are and what good works are not. And, you know, some of this really does fit into the previous episodes we've done over the last few months. And so, uh, some of the things we're going to talk about today we've talked about in more detail in previous episodes so if you haven't checked those out i will link the relevant episodes in the episode notes so um you'll hear a lot of times that that our good works are fruit and evidence and we've talked about sanctification i'll uh, read real quick westminster catechism what is sanctification sanctification is a work of god's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of god and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness so our good works are fruit 
of sanctification. So the Lord is sanctifying us, and our dying to sin and living more to righteousness is the fruit of God's work in our life. That's so encouraging, because especially the first part, I love that sanctification is the work of God's free grace, right? That that's, this is God's work in us. And one of my favorite verses um, along those lines is from Philippians 2, 12 and 13. And it says, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The Spirit is at work in us. He is making us more and more like Christ, and he is changing us so that we want to obey and making us able to obey and producing these good works in us. And those are such comforting words uh, to think on. You know, Colleen read from the uh, Westminster Standards on sanctification. Uh, another place that I've seen, uh, these, these topics show up again and again throughout the Reformed Confessions and Catechisms. And in the 39 Articles on Good Works, it says, um, Albeit that good works, which are the fruits of faith and follow after justification, cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment, yet they are pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ, and do spring out necessarily of a true and lively faith, insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree discerned by the fruit. So this is, you know, we, people talk about good works as fruit and evidence. This is using that, um, that illustration, that picture, that good works are the fruit, the, the evidence of our faith. And we see that that kind of image used in Scripture where it talks about um, trees and branches and, and fruit and, and those sorts of things. One of the things I did this week, and I would encourage, I'll put all of the, the confessional, the, the catechism and confessions that we talk about today, and then Rachel has some. But one of the things I did this week was go to those uh, catechisms and confessions and look up all the proof texts. Because that that's a good way to see where from Scripture that these are coming from, and to c- kind of see those verses. So, you know, and that's a question that I've seen even recently. Again, you know, people who aren't familiar with um, with the way the ref- those of us who are reformed and who are confessional, how we talk about things using the confessions, they ask, "Well, why do we use the confessions instead of Scripture?" And we're we're never pitting the confessions against Scripture. Uh, the confessions were were put together because of what Scripture says, and those scriptural proofs are very helpful to see all of what was considered um, as these confessions and, and catechisms were written. Yeah, they're a great summary of what Scripture mm-hmm. says. Um, so I think Ephesians two eight nine and ten that that's a a great example of everything that we're talking about because it says for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's a gift of god not as a result of works, so that no man may boast so there we see it's not because of our works it's it's all because of the lord but then it goes on to say for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we would walk in them so those works aren't justifying us but but we are to walk in them. Absolutely. Um, another good verse is from John fifteen five. I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Christ speaking. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And that speaks to that same uh, imagery of the fruit 
this being the fruit from the vine, but the fruit from the tree. And it's because of the Lord, you know, when he says, apart, Always because of the Lord. Be, apart mm-hmm. from me, you can do nothing. So it's it's not on account of us. And, and really what it says in Ephesians 2, you know, not on account of work so that no man should boast, where you see the legalists, you know, having a sort of self-righteousness because they, they think it's partly on account of them. Um, Micah 6, 8, he has told you a man what is good and what does Yahweh require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? You know, we're encouraged to walk in obedience with the Lord. Yeah, that's one of my favorite um, RUF songs that we used to sing from that passage. Uh, and it's just straight the passage. I love songs <laughs> um, like that. that. <laughs> I know I know it's one. Always, I'm, like, I'm singing along with your reading. <laughs> I, I know one based on that too, but it might be a different one because I think it was like one that was made like a praise song in the 80s or something like that. Well, it could still be that one because it's... Oh, yeah, you know, It was true. mid-90s when I was in in RUF. Another verse that I, or passage I think is really helpful, I mean, all of the book of Galatians is helpful in this discussion, but uh, particularly Galatians 3, and this is what gets into the idea that... Um, confronting the idea that we are justified somehow by faith, but... Ultimately, we are saved because of our works or including our works in. And Paul says very specifically to them, um, and it sounds very harsh, so I'm just warning you. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And, of course, you know, Paul is saying there that we don't start with the Spirit and end on our efforts, that all of the work of salvation start to finish is Christ, God's work, the Christ and the Spirit in us, His work in us, and not our work. And I think of the book of Galatians as really why it's important to get this right. Because there there are some pretty, like you said, it might sound a little harsh, but that's how important this is. Well, and you can almost hear, you know, Paul's, his, not fr- not just frustration, but, you know, pain for them. Like, yes. how, how are you turning away from, you know, what I've given you? And you know, later on, he says, don't you know that if, you, if you're trying to keep the law, you have to keep the whole thing? You know, yeah, and who wants to be under the law? Exactly. What? Not that the law isn't good, but who wants to be compared to the law when it comes to determining how we are righteous? Yeah, and you know what? And in, in keeping the whole thing, thinking about all of the sins, um, not only sins of commission, but sins of omission. Have you neglected to love your neighbor like you ought to? Um, then you have fallen short. Heidelberg Catechism, I think, is especially helpful in this discussion. I We've talked before about how it's split in, into the guilt, grace, and gratitude. We obey out of gratitude for what the Lord has done for us. I'm going to read just a couple from Heidelberg Catechism. Question 90, what is the coming to life of the new nature. It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good work. And so, because we've been made new, we desire to live in obedience to the Lord. 
And they had also asked in Heidelberg, what are good works? Those only which proceed from true faith and are done according to the law of God unto his glory and not such as rest on our own opinion or the commandments of men. So that's a good question to answer on what are good works. And, you know, that gets back to the image of, um, of the tree, right? And I've heard pastors use this, this, this illustration. You know, when you see apples on an apple tree, it is not the apples that make it an apple tree, right? It's not an apple tree. The apples don't get put on it, and now it's an apple tree. It produces apples because it is an apple tree, right? So as Christians, our good works that we do are the result the fruit of the fact that we have been made new in Christ. And it shows in our fruit, in our good works. And they show not because the good works make us Christians, but because we are Christians, we do these things and we show this fruit. And it's such a, such an important thing that we get the process of that correct, the order of that correct. Yeah, and one, one thing we've talked about before, and I do want to mention, I know that as we grow in our faith and we begin to see our sin more, sometimes it's easy to say, well, maybe I'm not producing enough fruit, so maybe I'm not a Christian. And it's so important what we've talked about before with the gospel is looking to Christ, that making sure that we aren't looking inward to ourselves, to our good works for assurance of salvation, but looking to Christ. Um, and that quote from R. Scott Clark, that our good works may strengthen our assurance, but Christ alone mm-hmm. is the ground of our assurance. You know, also, we looked at the Heidelberg, but also in the uh, Westminster Confession, in the chapter 16 on good works, uh, there are a couple different, I mean, it's all really good, a couple different places that are worth looking at. Um one thing, one part of it says, these good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidence of a true and lively faith, and by them believers manifest their thankfulness, strengthen their assurance, edify their brethren, adorn the profession of the gospel, stop the mouths of the adversaries, and glorify God, whose workmanship they are, created in Christ Jesus thereunto, that having their fruit unto holiness, they may have the end, eternal life. But it also goes on to say, we cannot, by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God, but or by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come, and the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom by them we can neither profit nor satisfy for the debt of our former sins. But when we have done all that we can, we have done but our duty and our unprofitable servants, and because, as they are good, they proceed from His Spirit, and as they are wrought by us, they are defiled, and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's judgment." And it sounds like it ends on a down note there, but what he's saying, what they're saying is that our good works, even when we do them as Christians, are so mixed up within our own sinful nature and our own sinful tendencies that even our good works, as good as they are, couldn't possibly save us because of the distance between God's standards and our abilities, right? But as we're going back to the the first part of what I read, um, these good works are acceptable by God because they are done in obedience to His command, and they are a fruit and evidence of our faith, and that these fruit and our holiness will be complete because God is at work in us, and at the end, we will have salvation. We have our final salvation. Right? We are saved, being saved, and will be saved. Right? We are saved. We will be saved, and have eternal life in Him because He is at work in us. 
Yeah, and we we can be comforted and confident that he is at work in us. Uh, scripture says, he who began a good work um, will complete it. So we can hold on to that. And we have nothing to fear. And, you know, this. I, I grew up in the church, and I have been a believer most of my life. Um, never a time that I can say point to and say I never knew God, right? But I remember as a child being afraid of Judgment Day, thinking about having to stand before God, who I know is holy, and defend or, you know, have all of what I've done laid open. And the truth is, we have nothing to fear from the judgment, because all of our sins have been paid for completely by Christ's blood. We are covered. And not only have we been covered by His blood and our sins paid for, but He has earned all of the holiness that we have to have. Right? He is giving, he's giving that to us. So, when I stand before God, and if the question is, you know, why should you go into heaven? And people say, you know, if you're asked that question, what would you say? The only thing I can say is, is that I have trusted in Christ for my salvation, and He is my righteousness. And that is our standing. But there is complete hope and comfort in that, because He will never turn away those who are covered in Christ's blood. Yeah, we talk about the imputation of Christ's act of obedience, and Christ obeyed perfectly for us, and we are clothed in His righteousness, like Rachel was talking about. Well, I think when we're talking about good works, one of the things that comes up, especially from some of those um, first examples we gave, Roman Catholic Church and Federal Vision and two-stage justification, is the book of James. In fact, some people will, uh, one of my friends was accused of not believing James. And I, especially, there's several verses they get focused on, but I, I just chose one that gets focused on James 2.14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? And some people want to say, see, you know, you have to have the works too. But that, that's not what this is saying. This is actually talking about a true faith will be obedient, not because that obedience saves us, but because we're being sanctified. Um, I have a quick quote from Calvin. He says, and he's talking about James. But here a question arises. Can faith be separated from love? It is indeed true that the exposition of this passage has produced the common distinction of the sophists between unformed and formed faith. But of such a thing, James knew nothing, for it appears from the first words that he speaks of false profession of faith, for he does not begin thus if anyone has faith, but if any says he has faith, by which he certainly intimates that hypocrites boast of the empty name of faith, which really does not belong to them. So there, there are people that will say, I have faith, but they do not have true faith. And so therefore, they will not be sanctified. They will not grow in obedience. And, you know, that's the difference, too, when you know, James and Paul you know, people will say, you know, James says one thing and Paul says the other about justification and faith um, and, and works. But they're not pitted against each other. They are talking about different things. And it's exactly what Calvin says here, that James is talking about how do we know as the church, how do we know about a faith, 
a profession of faith and whether or not it is, it's valid. How can the believers, how do the church know, how do you know yourself that whether or not your uh, profession of faith is, is a true one? And the, the proof, the evidence, is in the good works that we do. Not that we do them perfectly or that we're always doing good works and we do them rightly 100% of the time, but that the general, general tenor of our life is marked by the fruit of the Spirit and the good work that God has prepared for us. And that's different from what Paul is talking about when Paul talks about being justified by faith alone, you know, which is talking again about how we are saved. And James is talking about what is the outcome of our salvation and how does that show itself in our lives to those around us. Yeah, true faith will um, have the fruit of obedience. I uh, have part of. I have an article from R. Scott Clark on this. Uh, he wrote a whole article specifically about James, and he part of what he said is, Sola Fide, they concluded that James 2 is teaching the moral and logical necessity of love and good works, not as a part of the legal basis, ground of our justification and salvation, nor as a part of the instrument of them, but as the outcome. We are justified that we might be sanctified, and we manifest the sanctification in love and good works. We are saved in order that what we might walk in good works. So, we're not obeying to be saved, we're obeying because we are saved. And that's the key distinction. Yes, and very important. It's kind of what distinguishes those examples that we gave in the beginning of getting faith and works wrong and um, and what Scripture actually teaches. So, we're going to talk about why, what aren't good works, because, you know, again, this important distinction. So, I'll hand it off to you, Rachel, to start on what aren't good works. We've touched on this, but to say very specifically, works are not a means of salvation, right? They are never the grounds of our salvation. They are not the reason that we are saved. Um, and that's using saved in all the senses of it. They are not the reason or the for our justification. They are not the the grounds of our salvation at the final judgment day. None of that is based on our good works. So, in the second Helvetic Confession, um, and this is what so when I said all of the confessions and uh, Reformed confessions and catechisms talk about good works extensively because this was a real, a really important foundational truth to get right. So they all, all of them have very similar wording and very similar topics, but they each each one has a little difference in emphasis. Um, but looking at them through all of them, it's very important to see, very useful to see how important they thought it was. So, the Second Helvetic Confession says, We are not saved by good works. That's clear. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, as was said above, we do not think that we are saved by good works and that they are ne- so necessary for salvation that no one was ever saved without them. For we are saved by grace and the favor of Christ alone. Works necessarily proceed from faith, and salvation is improperly attributed to them, but it is most properly ascribed to grace. The Apostle's sentence is well known. If it is by grace, then it is no longer of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. But if it is of works, then it is no longer grace, because otherwise work is no longer work. And that's quoting from Romans 11. 
it's hard to say it clearer than that. We are not saved by good works. <laughs> I, I loved the fact that they used the wording that way. Uh, it answers so many questions. We are not, right? Um, you, know, you think about exceptions don't aren't how we, we base our theology, but we have to understand that, you know, things like when the thief was saved on the cross as he was dying, right? What good works did he have to go along with his confession? There wouldn't have been many, right? He, he had a very short life after he was saved. And yet we know he was saved because Christ turns to him and says that he will be with him today in paradise, right? This is, we know it was a true confession. So, I think that's what it's getting at, that, you know, while works necessarily go, come from our faith, those good works aren't so tied to it, to our salvation, that, you know, that we have to see them all there in order to be saved. That's not what it's about. The Belgic Confession um, has something that kind of is clear like that, too. It says, for it must necessarily follow that either all that is required for our salvation is not in Christ, or if all is in him, then he who has Christ by faith has his salvation entirely. Therefore, to say that Christ is not enough, but that something else is needed as well, is a most enormous blasphemy against God. For it then would follow that Jesus Christ is only half a Savior, and therefore we justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone or by faith apart from works. So again, that's very clear. And Heidelberg Catechism asks, why can't our good works be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of our righteousness? Answer, because the righteousness which can pass God's judgment must be entirely perfect and must in every way measure up to the divine law. But even our best works in this life are imperfect and stained with sin. Again, I think those are pretty clear about what we're talking about here. And I think in that Belgic Confession, it's pretty much saying it's either all of Christ or it can't be. Right. Right. And that's the, you know, the, the Christ plus, right? That, right. Well, you know, and, and that's why you mentioned imputation. It's important that we understand that not only has, have, has Christ's life, death, and resurrection been applied to us so that all of our sins are paid for, but his meriting his good works that he did in his life, living perfectly without sin, those have also been applied to us so that we have holiness and righteousness that's his given to us. Yeah, and I've had people that, I think uh, some people grew up in the church and they heard, Jesus died for your sins. But they said, I didn't realize that imputed righteousness part that he also obeyed for us, that we're clothed in his righteousness. And amen and hallelujah and, you know, my Baptist roots are showing, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but it is, it's so, it's such a a blessed understanding of Scripture, of what the work of our salvation, that we can rest in Christ's righteousness. We can rest in His work for us. And by resting in them, it doesn't mean that we will be lazy like, the, the Catholics accused reformers of teaching, but it means that we will have the right motivation in order to do good works and to serve God. Another uh, of the reformed catechisms that I think is Im Im helpful in this discussion um, is a quote from Theodore Beza, who wrote a little book of Christian questions and responses. I'm, I'm guessing this was a catechism um, meant for 
uh, teaching Christians what the faith is. So what the question is, therefore, you say that good works are necessary to salvation. So why can we say that good works are necessary? And we've seen this in some of the other quotes that we've given. And the answer is, if faith is necessary to salvation and works necessarily flow out of true faith as that which cannot be idle, certainly it also follows that good works are necessary to salvation. Yet, not as the cause of salvation, for we are justified and thus live by faith alone in Christ, but as something necessarily attached to true faith. Just as Paul says, they are God's children who are led by the Spirit of God, and John, that he is righteous who works righteousness, and James also explaining, explaining not by what method we are justified, but from whence true faith and justification are known, proves by the example of Abraham that they are not justified who demonstrate no works of faith. For in this way James is reconciled with Paul, so that it is plain that they are contentious who condemn the necessity of good works as a false doctrine. And so, that really sums up a lot of what we have already talked about, about what Paul and James are talking about and why we do, why good works are necessary. Um, but again, it's, they are necessary because they will flow from our faith and our justification as proof that we are united to Christ and that the Spirit is at work in us, not as the reason or any reason or grounds for our salvation. Yeah, amen to that. So, so why do we do good works as Christians? And, you know, I think that, um, you know, John Fonville had said, he doesn't think there's actually a lot of people out there that are actual antinomians um, that were, are going to say, well, Christ died for everything. I'm just going to do what I want. But I think if we're truly in Christ, we're not going to have that attitude. But why do we do good works as Christians? Heidelberg 86 answers this well. Since then, we are redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ. Without any merit of ours, why should we do good works? And the answer is because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful to God for his blessing, and also that he be glorified through us, then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the th- fruits thereof, and by our godly walk win also others to Christ. So that kind of gives a list of of the reasons why we do good, good works. It's because we're thankful to God for his blessing, and it's that he may be glorified through us, um, that we may be assured of our faith by the fruits that um, that he's producing in us, and also so that we are an example to others um, of Christ. So that's that's a good um, catechism question and answer um, about why we do good work, the reasons why. Another of the catechisms, um, this is from the the Belgic Confession, uh, talking about sanctification. It says, So then, we do good works, but not for merit. For what would we merit? Rather, we are indebted to God for the good works we do, and not He to us, since it is He who works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. Thus keeping in mind what is written, When you have done all that is commanded you, then you shall say, We are unworthy servants, we have done what is our duty to do. Yet we do not wish to deny that God rewards good works. It is by His grace that He crowns His gifts. 
Moreover, although we do good works, we do not base our salvation on them, for we cannot do any work that is not defiled by our flesh and also worthy of punishment. And even if we could point to one, memory of a single sin is enough for God to reject that work. So we would always be in doubt, tossed back and forth without any certainty, and our poor consciences would be tormented constantly if they did not rest on the merit of our suffering and death of our Savior. And that's from the Belgic Confession. And you know, it starts out there, you know, that we are indebted to God for the works that we do. And that, you know, speaking to what uh, what Colleen said from the Heidelberg, you know, this is part of our gratitude uh, for our salvation. I like how it said, what would it merit us? Because Christ has done it all. So what what exactly would it merit us? And I, I really like that one a lot. There's a, a, a quote from... It's in a, a Casper Olivianus, and I think a lot, if you look at like Zacharias Ursinus, Theodore Beza, a lot of these reformers, even Luther, they I think they a lot of time wrote kind of catechisms to to teach the faith, and so this, this is also one of those where it's question 70 um, from his book, Firm Foundation. You are not saying then that good works are useless, and he says... They do not serve to make us right with God, either wholly or in part, but they do serve this purpose after we have been freely and graciously justified through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. We show with good works that we are thankful to God the Lord so that God might be praised through us. That is the reason we were originally created and then redeemed. As Zechariah teaches in Luke 1, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness that is pleasing to him all the days of our life. And that actually makes me think of what you were talking about, Rachel, that we can serve him without fear. Um, So good works are also useful because by them as the fruit of our faith, it is confirmed that we have not a hypocritical, but a true faith. Third, they are useful because by the example of our good works, we win others to Christ and keep those already won from falling away. The longer they are kept close to Christ, the more they are built up. So kind of see a theme of why we do good works. Gratitude, we do it for God's, for gratitude because of what the Lord has done for us. We do it for God's glory, to glorify Him, for assurance of faith, and for a Christian witness. So the those are the reasons that we do good works. And we will do good works because we're being sanctified. And those four, the gratitude, God's glory, assurance of faith, and Christian witness, um, Scott Clark has a series on good works that goes through those, uh, about why we do good works. Uh, it's expounding on the Heidelberg Question 86 that we mentioned. But um, you know, going back to, you know, we've talked about assurance recently, this is one of the ways that God, that God helps to assure us of our own faith and our salvation is we can see the work that He is doing in us and through us, uh, which is not pride on our part, but a comfort on our part that uh, there's evidence that we can see and that others can see in us uh, about how God is at work. So, we're going to talk just briefly to wrap this up. Why does it matter? And I think we've really kind of talked about that throughout this whole entire series. It it really matters so much. I would say, um, firstly, just for our Christian our Christian life, resting in the Lord, 
um, I can rest in the Lord and obey without fear. Um, but I would also say even understanding understanding correctly justification and sanctification will um, that's helpful I think daily in my in my Christian life in understanding the why of good works. We've talked before but this this gets us off understanding good works properly gets us off the hamster wheel, right? This is not that we're striving and striving and striving and we get nowhere, right? This is this is not trying to build up enough that we can say to God and say, see here, I've done enough, I'm good. Right? This is we've been freed from that. We're not on the little hamster wheel. We are set free. But he is at work in us and we will work because he is at work in us. And when we get the order correct, then yes, we can rest in Christ's righteousness, and we are freed to do good work because we know that He is at work in us. Amen. I think that's a good place to wrap up. I hope this has been helpful. If you do have any questions about what we talked about today or in the last few months, it could be about Federal Vision, could be about the Trinity, Holy Spirit, um, Law and Gospel, you know, please email those to us at theologygals at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on social media with those questions and when we do our question and answer episode in a couple weeks we will include those so I hope this was helpful and we will see you next week